0: One of my biggest goals was to ride a bike again as I was leaving the hospital, and did accomplish that goal.
1: Welcome to the podcast. I'm your host Hans Flensdorff Jensen, and this podcast wouldn't have been anything if it hadn't been for Oslo Dawn Patrol cycling community. Welcome back to uh, to Cranks at Dawn, where uh, I have another very exciting guest with me today from from the US, uh, Clara Brown. And uh, Clara is a, a para-cycling athlete and um, has just, you know, done some very great results at the, at the World Cup uh, in, uh, in, um, in, be- in Belgium. But Clara will tell us more about that. So, Clara, welcome to the show. Thanks for, for taking the time to speak with me. Could you tell us about who you are and uh, what you're doing with cycling and, and, and so on?
0: Sure. Hi, thank you for having me. It's great to be here. I'm Clara Brown. And as you said, I'm an American. I'm originally from the Maine area, which is the very northeastern part of the states. And I'm chatting with you from Montana. So kind of opposite side of the country, but um, both beautiful spots. I'm lucky to call both of them home. And yeah, as you mentioned, I'm a paracyclist. So I grew up pretty athletic doing uh, quite a few different team sports and Individual sports, but I mostly gravitated toward gymnastics and had kind of a traumatic accident when I was twelve, so that was thirteen years ago. Um I just had a fluke landing at practice and I landed on my head, crushed two vertebrae of my neck, and damaged my spinal cord, so was paralyzed pretty much from the neck down right away, and then uh, worked to regain function over several months of rehabilitation at a spinal cord specialty hospital. And yeah, I was back walking. And uh, ironically, I guess now with my with context, um, one of my biggest goals was to ride a bike again, as I was leaving the hospital, and did accomplish that goal. um, But didn't touch a bike for several more years, just it was kind of out of my realm, I had encountered a few more physical obstacles and found the bike truly um, my freshman year of college. I was just looking for a way to stay fit and to see the world. And I was at school in Washington State, and so this beautiful mountainous region and just wanted to explore some more. And so bought my first road bike and fell in love with it. And then several years later, connected with the U.S. Paracycling Squad and, um, yeah, have been on the national team for the past two years and have just had kind of a whirlwind few years where I um, took two world championships last year, kind of culminating my career up until this point and then qualified for my first game. So I'll head to Tokyo for this summer's postponed Paralympic Games and cannot wait. I'll ride both the road and the track there so (laughs) long intro but
1: (laughs) no but uh not uh not uh not just long also very uh, exciting to hear so so just to so you had uh, an injury where you actually was paralyzed from from neck and down but actually regained quite a bit of your mobility after that is that right
0: that's correct Yeah. so i had an incomplete spinal cord injury
1: Um, i guess uh so so you, you were actually quite quite lucky to 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 be to be that you actually were able to, to regain some of your mobility. That's, uh, that's good. So, so now you are heading to, to Tokyo uh, later this, uh, this year. That's, uh, that's great to hear uh, the fact that it was postponed. Uh, ha, ha, has that, you know, interfered a lot with your planning or has it actually been a little bit of a, you could say a, a positive thing that you've got an extra year to, to prepare. Yeah. I
0: think for, for my case, I took it very much as a blessing. I, um, Obviously, the circumstances were not a blessing for most of the world, but um, as my th- personal situation as an athlete, I was grateful to have the extra year to to uh, prepare and train. I'm still so new to this sport, and so I felt like this huge benefit of getting a year of uninterrupted training, because when I first joined the national team, it was a lot of racing. I didn't have any experience, and so in order to be prepared for the games, my team wanted me to have all of the race opportunities as possible and so I was traveling constantly and just felt like it was getting in the way of solid training so yeah I was actually glad to have the extra year and made some huge um, performance gains which I never could have imagined going into Tokyo 2020 had it been originally scheduled so yeah Yeah, some silver lining in this kind of mess of a year.
1: (laughs) As you say, uh, uh, a a, a blessing uh, despite some quite negative circumstances for, I, of course. for, for the society but uh, I think it's all right to 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 look at the positive side of uh, whenever you can so so that's uh, that's great to hear so just to uh, we're not going to spend so much time on, on talking about the Olympics we, we may catch up on that after the Olympics next year I would uh, later in the year I would love to do that but just to uh, our listeners I think Most of them know what paracycling is, and I've had a few uh, episodes of this podcast about it as well before. But can you tell us a little bit about the categories and what what, uh, competitions you will be be doing?
0: Sure. So there are, at its most basic, there are four um, pieces of equipment you could ride. You could ride a tandem if you're a visually impaired athlete. You'll have the visually impaired athlete on um, the back as the stoker and then an able-bodied pilot. You have a trike as um, a balance impaired athlete, hand cyclist um, who doesn't pedal with their legs, and then an upright bike, and that can be modified um, kind of within this realm that the UCI allows. And so I do ride an upright bike, and then within each of those equipment classes, there are um, categories. And so on the upright side, we have five classifications, one through five. Uh, One is the most impaired five is the least impaired and I'm a C three. So the way it works, you just submit medical documentation and then get seen by classifiers and they'll determine where you compete. And it can be somewhat political with, uh, you know, nerve impairments or not political, but just, you know, there's some gray areas. Some, some impairments are a little bit easier to classify than others, but, um, for the most part, the intent is to make sure everybody's on a level playing field and you're competing with, other athletes with similar impairments. And the upright bikes ride both the road and the track. So um, some teams have athletes specialize in one or the other, um, but my team has actually encouraged us to dabble in both if we feel we'd like to do that. And I love the opportunity to ride both the road and the track. So going into Tokyo, I will be competing on both. So I have two events I ha- on each. I race an individual time trial on the road, so you against the clock, just as, as fast as you can go. It's roughly 15 kilometers or so. And then I also race a road race, so that's anywhere 60 to 70K typically, hour and a half or so. And then I also race the 500-meter time trial on the track, which is two laps, all-out sprint, just as hard as you can go <laughs> and then i also race a three kilometer individual pursuit so that's about four minutes or so uh 12 laps and a longer sprint but it's uh it hurts <laughs> but one of my favorites as well
1: i would imagine so that it, that it hurts but am i right if you just won uh the the road race at the world cup in, in belgium last week
0: i did yes yeah
1: so so you you seem well prepared and on <laughs> track for for a great result in Tokyo as well so Thank so we we'll, we'll hope for that. Can you tell us a little bit about your bike because I've been reading a little bit and and see that it's uh it's actually a normal road bike that you have modified. Uh, can you tell us how how it has been modified?
0: Yeah, it's actually it's pretty cool at first glance. Like if you're not really scrutinizing it looks pretty much like a normal bike and I think what's cool is how well we've kind of integrated my modifications into the bike and um, made it so seamless for me to operate. So uh, probably the biggest thing for me was a brake splitter. So my right hand doesn't work at all from the, from the nerve damage. And so we've had one lever go to both the front and the rear brake. And there's just a little, a splitter that sits kind of underneath the handlebars and that directs the fluid to get, to go to both the front and the rear. And then I also have set up the di two to be operated entirely by the left side as well. So I have, um, like at get the normal shifter, my rear derailleur on the left side. And then I have, um, kind of, I guess you could call them sprint shifters hidden underneath the hood. And I just put little uh, pieces of like skateboard grip tape so that I can find it with my hand. Cause it's so well hidden underneath. And That allows me to ride. I can shift and brake entirely by the left side, and it's been a game changer to be able to ride safely and actually operate the bike. Um, So, yeah, it took several iterations to kind of get to this point where I feel like it's all very streamlined, and my boyfriend's an excellent mechanic. So, that's hugely beneficial for me to just provide feedback and say, Hey, this isn't really in the right spot. It's not very comfortable, or whatever that may be. The brake splitter can also be quite finicky, but yeah it's it's really great
1: so do you have to th- those kind of modifications do they then need to go through some sort of approval process uh from from a committee or something like that to, for you to be able to compete on that bike
0: yeah the uci has um i think what's called modification checks or something i think mine are pretty um they're not they're not they don't qualify they're not invasive enough or they're not um i guess substantial enough so I think when they're talking about modifications, they're looking more for like an amputee's stump comp, for example, or some other larger modification. I think mine are pretty, pretty standard within the realm. Like there are quite a few paracyclists who use the brake splitter or, you know, the DI2 reprogramming is pretty minimally involved. And so, yeah, gr- grateful to not have a whole whole process to get that approved. It was easy to just... Make make it work for myself, and then show up to the start line.
1: <laughs> so it's actually you. You say uh, you control basically the brakes and the gear shifting from the left side, uh, left hand side. So your left side of the body is is the one that you say functions normally, or ha, ha, yeah. Just for our listeners to to get their head around what how you're, you 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 when they if you if you look at the pictures, you're riding the bike like anyone else. We can't really see a yeah. difference. Uh, but what about your legs? Do you have the same power in each both legs? or
0: No, so I yeah, the way that my spinal cord injury shook out, my left side, and it's kind of crazy how how um, distinct it is. My left side is sensory impaired, so I've trouble um, distinguishing between sharp and dull and temperature below my injury level, so below my shoulders. My right side is motor impaired, so I've lost most function of my right arm I can have a little bit of grip function but and some bicep but no tricep or any extensors and then my right leg is also pretty impaired so I've lost most of my hip flexor function and then the lower leg is also quite weak so I kind of drag my foot when I walk and on the bike yeah like you said I don't I don't use any other um, assistive devices I don't use any braces or anything and so I do look you know to like quick glance pretty normal person Um, but I do have quite a bit of power discrepancy. My left leg is doing anywhere around 60 to 70% of the work. I only have one bike with a dual sided power meter. So not sure how accurate that is, but it is, you know, quite the discrepancy. And I have noticed by switching the shorter cranks, that's been one of the biggest, um, benefits to to getting the most out of my right leg. So you know, I rode stock 167.5 cranks or so until realizing that I could go shorter and that would reduce the hip angle up over the pedal stroke. And my right leg, the the hip flexor is so weak that um, it was huge to change to 150 millimeter cranks and have um, more out of my right leg. So we did that about two years ago and felt like my right leg has been contributing quite a bit more. So that was huge.
1: So, how long did it take from when you actually had your injury to you regained that much of mobility again, or is that actually an ongoing process still to this day? Or,
0: yeah, it's been. I was told when I was hurt that you have about a two-year window to get the most back, um, and so time is of the essence when you're first hurt. You wanna. Um, immediately start your rehabilitation process. And my case was also quite lucky in that I had a stable fracture and didn't need surgery. So I wasn't recovering from an operation uh, before trying to, you know, regain nerve function. I was just able to immediately kind of delve into that. Um, And I would say I've kind of plateaued within, you know, past five, maybe longer than that eight years or so. Um, but I'm feeling like I'm strengthening what I have and feeling like my, you know, day-to-day quality of life has just been vastly improved after riding so much, you know, my lifestyle before this wasn't necessarily one of an elite athlete. And so, um, that has been also one of the, the coolest benefits from, from riding competitively is, is my, you know, my gait has improved as I'm walking around, and just feeling like I'm a lot, you know, I have a lot more stamina throughout the day, which I didn't, you know, I didn't really have before, um, just because I felt like I was so weak and the on the right side particularly. So yeah, it was kind of ongoing, but not necessarily recovering the nerve function. It's more so the strengthening what I
1: have. So uh, I know that uh, that that you've also been doing or are uh, probably doing some some work around uh, with schools uh, in particular uh, and uh, through an organization called Outright. I think. Is that right? Yep. Yeah. Uh, Tell us what that is about.
0: Yeah, so I found them last fall. It's been, like I said, my career has been so short in cycling and I, you know, spent the first two years just focusing entirely on my competitive, you know, outlook and training and everything. And I felt like, after having some success and feeling just like re- reflecting on how beneficial finding the bike has been for me and therapeutic and like I said, how it's kind of crossed over into other aspects of my life feeling like a more capable individual. And so I was looking for an outlet to kind of have a bigger platform and be able to encourage more people to get on bikes and OutRide was the perfect fit. So um, I got brought on as an ambassador with them for 2021, so about five months ago. And they're a wonderful organization where they have um, programs in schools called Riding for Focus. So they'll um, have kids, the, the premise is to improve mental health and, and performance in the classroom by being active on bikes. And they also have Riding for Focus grants. And so they will um, allow schools to pitch an idea and have their um, program funded through the OutRide Fund, which is really great as well. And so as an ambassador, we've been um, involved with school visits and kind of encouraging more kids to be outriding. And it's hard virtually these days where you want to be able to connect with the kids and go ride in person um, and kind of bring the energy in person rather than through a screen. But um, I'm super grateful to have done a few visits through them and just chat bikes with kids and anything else in
1: between <laughs> so so bikes uh, get so do you go to the schools uh, and talk about cycling and get on bicycles and you know encourage and and do things to to get the kids to to ride their bike more uh for someone living in in, in Europe and in Scandinavia where we have a very you know a uh, very cycling friendly uh, society. Uh, how does that work in the US? Which is, uh, I think, we can be honest and say you have a lot of focus around cars. Yeah. Uh, how, how does that uh, come along with schools and also parents and and all that in in terms of getting more people on the bike? Do you do you see some challenges that are tough on that?
0: Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, there it's it's um, no secret that our bike infrastructure is just lacking throughout the U.S. I mean, you have pockets of, um, amazing, you know, bike infrastructure, bike lanes, paths, trails, whatever it may be, but those seem to be the exception, not the the norm. Um, so yeah, a big part of these visits is just chatting about safe routes or finding trail systems. Um, and potentially that's where the funding may go as, you know, like, had uh, projects funding pump tracks around the schools or um, you know trail building so I think that is also an important uh, issue to acknowledge is that you know you can encourage people to get on the bikes but they need a place to go um, and I had done some adv- advocacy work uh, when I was in college for um, the town of Tacoma where I was in school looking at safer routes to to work in school and um, advocating through city councils to um improve that infrastructure so I did have a little bit of background but it's also yeah it's slow moving and a lot of work to be done but it's I think very important and you know as a professional rider I definitely feel the the lack of, of safe places to ride at times you know and it's not even for me I feel pretty competent on a bike and it's still pretty intimidating and not not necessarily the most confidence-inspiring as you're riding.
1: No, no, and I think I think most of us can, you know, recognize this where you 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 don't feel uh, you don't feel unsafe, but you have a lot of these, as you say, intimidating experiences where you feel okay. This this wasn't okay. This is this yeah. is not all right. It shouldn't be like that. Uh, but as you also say, you know, the more people we get out riding, and uh, not this necess- not just competitively, but you know, just to and from school uh, and uh, as a mean of transportation and so on makes all the difference
0: yeah that's the thing like it's noticeable when you go to a place even when within the u.s where people are out riding more and drivers are aware and are looking for cyclists versus you know a place that maybe doesn't see as many and cars are just i think pretty surprised to see you and that's also you know something that You can kind of help change through just more communities riding and making it more normal to use it as a mode of transportation.
1: It It is super good for transportation. Uh, yeah, I, I think uh, I can vouch for that. I I don't have a car, uh, but I have a lot of bicycles, including a cargo bike, uh, which uh, serves all uh, my. Those are sweet. My, uh, they they are super nice and they it 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 uh, it works uh, and it's uh, then sometimes yes you do need a car from time to time, but that's where you go out or you either take a taxi or rent one or whatever. That yeah. that that's. Uh, but I also uh, I totally understand that it's not as easy. It's easy for me to say in a in a small European country where the infrastructure is much different than it is in 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 a lot of u.s uh, american cities where i think the entire infrastructure is, is built around that you will have to access everything by car yeah uh, so i mean it, there is a definitely a threshold there so it's 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 great to see that that you're actually doing this you could say uh work to to get more people out there what uh, what does the the kids say i mean you, as a paracyclist, a para athlete, is that what they focus on, or do they are they actually interested in the cycling, or is it a bit of both?
0: Um, it's been a bit of both. I think you know, I'm not necessarily delving into the specifics of paracycling so much. I mean, I explain it, but most kids had never heard of the Paralympics, and I think that's kind of a cool place to start, and that it opens them up to this whole world of athletes who you know they may not have considered or even heard of before. And I think that's been really rewarding as well. Is just like telling people what the Paralympics are and what, what type of athletes we may be. And then, you know, sometimes they may say, Oh, I have a friend who like could ride in the Paralympics or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, let's, I mean, it's always interesting to hear also within the athletes, how they found this movement. And I think, you know, more broader than getting more kids on bikes, another kind of, um, goal of mine is to have the Paralympics kind of elevated a little bit more and more mainstream so that, you know, we're not missing out on potential athletes or, um, potential avenues for kids to just be more active or people to be more active. They don't necessarily need to be competing at the top level, but just have an outlet and adaptive sports are, you know, incredible to be able to just modify a piece of equipment and make it usable for a person's specific needs. So, yeah, I think kids kind of focus on um, several aspects. And then when you say, you know, some sort of accolade, they're like, Oh, my gosh, show me the medals. <laughs> you know, like, that's what they they want to see. <laughs> so it's a little bit of both and try to steer the conversation slightly to um, something that's more applicable to them, too, you know, but um, it's always fun to have kid energy. And you know, and you get asked what your favorite ice cream flavor is. Like, it's not it doesn't have to be all about bikes. Just bring some fun and and hope that that is a takeaway that they should be riding their bikes more. And it's a great outlet to relieve some stress. And
1: exactly, exactly. And I think you know, just the fact that you talk about ice cream and things like that, that's what you know creates the, the the atmosphere and the relation where which probably will lead them to be more comfortable on the bike as well yeah uh, so so now there's no doubt that the bicycle is is, is good for most things and you also mentioned mental health and that's also one of the things that I have talked about on, on this podcast several times how, how important uh, 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 the connection between cycling and mental health is for a lot of people uh, so so that's uh, that's great to see so uh after the olympics later this year uh, i obviously see that the olympics uh, in tokyo is kind of the main goal for for the next uh, for the next period what's uh what would you do after then uh, do you have any plans coming up
0: i mean i'm still pretty early on in my career so my next kind of longish term goal would be to make the paris team that's paris 2024 so since the delay happened we're only three years out from Paris and I think I would also like to transition into more able-bodied cycling as well so kind of work my way up through the domestic ranks here in the U.S. and then see where that where that leads me. Um, I think that's kind of another avenue to, to demonstrate or to celebrate Paralympic movements and to um, showcase that we are athletes in our own rights rather than you know disabled athletes like
1: we we do have um some pretty do, do you do you often uh, meet uh, a lot of you know discrimination uh, or you know people look down on paracycling or what's what's the
0: yeah it's not the most um direct I- discrimination but it is definitely a tone change like when I meet people and they ask what I do, I typically say, um, oh, I'm a cyclist. Oh, that's so cool. Like what team do you ride for? I ride for, um, the U S para cycling national team. And when, when you say para, like, I think there's a mix of just not knowing exactly what that is and, and worried to offend. And so they don't want to ask any like further questions. They just Like, I'm just like, oh, okay. Um, Or, like, somebody who maybe does know a little bit more about it and, like, it just doesn't seem as impressive to them anymore. And so, it's an interesting tone shift where, um, if that doesn't come up that I'm a para athlete, like, I'm still considered really interesting and potentially, you know, like a good athlete. And then, when if I were to distinguish, um, and it's not like I'm hiding it, it's just like I consider myself a professional cyclist, like first and foremost. And then, you know, my, my outlet is through the para side, but I do feel like, you know, I've, I've earned the title of a professional cyclist um, outright. And so, um, or work toward that, I should say. (laughs)
1: So, so, so when you, when you are a professional cyclist, do you think this kind of interest for, for paracycling is also, uh, is it, do, do you see that from the sponsors uh, and so on? Or is it, um, is it something where sponsors actually say we need to for a whole lot of reasons, diversity and uh, for community and all these things that we, we need to be involved there as well? We want to be involved. Or is it difficult?
0: Um, I actually would say the former what you had said so I found uh, like most most people I've approached and all of my current sponsors have been very excited about kind of um, entering this whole side of the sport that may not have been um, kind of their radar at all before and so you know when you when you kind of pitch to them what paracycling is, a lot of times it's educating first. And then, yeah, once you've kind of explained who we are, what we do, and we do compete, like, at the world-class level, they're like, heck, yeah, I'm on board. Um, and so I've had a lot of fun conversations with with now current sponsors who have been kind of on board from the start once I explained a little bit more about the movement and what we're what we're doing. So I, I feel grateful in that sense too, to have and the cycling industry, um, opening its arms a little bit more to diversity and trying to um, include other realms of cycling beyond you know, what they typically had—the one in
1: the box. Yeah, and I think it's 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 cool because uh, I I think we also have to admit that some a lot of it also comes down to media media coverage. Uh, and when we uh, look through the media, yeah, around the Olympics and Paralympics, we see it. Yeah. But for the uh, next four years, it's you, you really have to be very much into cycling and, uh, to some extent, paracycling to actually exactly. pick it up. Uh, so it, it's not that easy. So so there's definitely some, some work to be done there as well.
0: Yeah, I would agree. And I think it just, um, yeah, I, I mean, I think it's just we can keep trying to make make small and small you know, changes and hope that it's kind of a snowball effect and. Um, companies are reaching more and more para athletes and including us in ad campaigns and everything else.
1: But Clara, uh thanks very much for for taking the time to speak with me again. It's been it's it's interesting and uh I I really wish of course you all the best for 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 the next uh, several months and your preparations for Tokyo and of course the games in Tokyo. Uh, I'll definitely be be following closely and looking forward to that. So, so thanks again very much for coming. Thank you for having me.